Come on, Jimmy. Who are you going to fight against when this balloon of yours goes up? Forces of anarchy. Wreckers of law and order. See? Communists, Maoists, Trotskyists, Neo-Trotskyists, Crypto-Trotskyists, Union leaders, Communist Union leaders. See? Atheists, agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Anna, you're going to talk with me today about uh, Jessica Jones, and we're both going to talk about it because I think we've a sort of mutual admiration for it. Absolutely. So, um, why is it? Why is? Why do you think it's so good? Why is Jessica Jones such a brilliant TV show? Um, Netflix, wow. Netflix, was it Netflix 2015? It is Netflix 2015. Um, I believe it's been commissioned for a third series as well. So, yes. which is great news. Uh, well, the first time I saw it was after a student had been nagging me to watch it because uh, he was writing his dissertation on representation of Marvel characters in film and TV. And I was extremely cynical on the basis that it was Marvel. Uh, but he did basically say, um, you really need to give it a go. And it just was so completely and utterly different from what I was expecting as a Marvel adaptation. You know, it's the representation of women particularly, obviously, is... Um, astoundingly progressive at times I think the way in which it's really actually really well both feminist and post-feminist at the same time the character of Jessica Jones is this sort of female superhero and yet she is also the detective uh, so it's very film noir Um, she's also really the femme fatale so she's both Um, the way that it's shot the way that it's structured and of course the bad guy in series one Kilgrave so this is Kilgrave played by David Tennant yes anti-Doctor Who role extraordinarily scary bad guy Um, and also very interesting bad guy on the basis that his power is uh, the ability to control people's minds and so obviously it's very much about um, control you know a kind of male control which I think is very emblematic it's actually I think um what the whole series is about is about power and people's attempts to kind of be themselves within a lot of kind of confines, whether that be gender or about race or, you know, the, the, the theme of trauma is prevalent throughout the whole series. Everybody's suffering some kind of trauma, particularly Jessica. Yeah. Uh, and obviously then that leads into these themes about addiction. So she's this sort of, you know, alcoholic who, and that isn't solved, which I really like the fact that it's just an ongoing thing for her. It's a coping mechanism. Uh, but also you get addiction appearing with some of the other characters, obviously Malcolm and then Trish in series two, which I know that series two, some people don't, yeah, didn't like it as much. It's got sort of mixed reviews, I think. Yeah. It's had very mixed reviews, but as we've spoken about, I think one of the reasons for that is because it doesn't go down the Buffy route of having a clearly defined bad guy every series. So, you know... Yeah, so there's no end-of-level boss of that. There's no, exactly. And there's no kind of Kilgrave Mark II in the second series. Mm. It's far more fragmented. Uh, and, you know, there are, there are multiple possible bad characters, as it were, but it's very morally muddy. Uh, so the, the mother figure, you know, the, Jessica's mother um, does bad things. But yet she she's shown as a sort of fully fleshed out loving character as well. The scientist does bad mm. things, but he's mm. shown in those ways too. Trish does bad things. You know, everybody's doing kind of bad mm. things, but not necessarily for the mm. worst reasons. Yeah. So that's a lot to talk about there. Um, I think what struck me about it when I was watching it was that it's, uh, the whole thing is, as you said, about power control. And it's, I think what struck me is it's a really sort of detailed, uh, a thorough 
and forensic analysis of sexual violence. Yes. Yeah. And so the, the whole thing is an elongated metaphor for how sexual violence plays out in the aftermath of sexual violence. Do you think that's? Yes. Do you think that's Absolutely, absolutely. And actually the characters live in this world where they have to defend themselves. I mean, I think one of the appeals of Jessica Jones is for female audiences, this sense of, you know, being able to fight back that, you know, that Jessica looks very small. She looks, I mean, she's dressed in, you know, very kind of biker clothing, but actually, you know, she's very kind of sexy as well. But she's not particularly muscular. You don't sort of defi- you don't look at her and think that she's yeah. tremendously strong. So she's allowed to be feminine still, and yet she's tremendously strong, uh, but also very That's vulnerable. Her, superpower, right? her yeah. superpower, absolutely. Um, but yet her strength is also kind of coupled by this intense vulnerability and the fact that yes, she's been a victim and she has been traumatized. Um, so she's sort of living in a world where she's trying to help other people. Because what's happened to her, and that feeds into her alcohol, her alcoholism, is that mm. she is a, a former victim. Oh yeah, I didn't think that's that's effectively what she's doing, is it? Because she's, what like she's a detective, and what she does is she makes money from this sort of very voyeuristic pursuit of uh, adultery and absolutely. So she's a she's a sort of professional. She's she's got sort of multiple talents. I mean. I've sort of made a link with Jessica Jones with the Nordic noir heroines. I think oh. she's slightly Lisbeth Salander in a way, with so the way that she's like sort of a who's saga a, and the bridge, is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the way that these women are outside conventional femininities, really. So they're not married. They're not, you know, they do what mm. they want. They might sleep with men if they want to. They're yeah. quite abrasive towards people. You know, they're they're. But but violence, like you say, the sexual violence, you know, that's very direct in series one because of Kilgrave mm-hmm. and his abduction of the character Hope that Jessica then rescues. But then it's about what he does to her and she doesn't want the same thing to happen to other women. So there's a real sense of, I think, sisterhood in the first series and also the second series, although it becomes much more fragmented by the end, mm-hmm. which is, yes, very concerned with sexual violence. And what it means to live in a world where it just is. It's not in any denial, Jessica Jones. That's the world that people inhabit. Mm. Yeah, and well, I suppose that that would be a good place to, to talk about uh, the perpetrator of sexual violence. And the model of it is uh, uh, the Kilgrave character. Yeah. So he's Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Purple in the Elias comics. He's, yes. he's absolutely terrifying. Yes, he is. He's absolutely brutal. He's relentless. Uh, and he just will not go away. He keeps coming back. I mean, he even starts, doesn't he, coming, by coming, start coming back from the dead nominally. Well. Yeah, so absolutely. Kind of this re- return of this sort of intransigent, uh, sort of uh, super dominant authorial male voice. Absolutely. I mean, I think he is, yes, he's absolutely terrifying. I think he's represented or represents, you know, a very scary definition of masculinity where, yes, he's deeply concerned about what he looks like. He wants to have absolute control over people. He's, he's, the, he's absolutely he's the ultimate narcissist. You know, this sense of, uh, about, you know, n- nobody having free will. So he is, I think, utterly a metaphor for that. And the violence that he perpetrates is a, is very scary because it's sexual abuse, but it's also emotional abuse. So it doesn't really stop and it doesn't really go away. So there are there are multiple levels of threat from him that Jessica has to cope with, whether it's a threat to another character or a threat to her sanity or a threat to her body. Or, you know, it, there are multiple, multiple levels. And, of course, the fact that it's played by David Tennant, he's Mr. a good-looking, yeah. sort of suave, 
and he is like that in the in the series. He's British as well, so they give him. I don't know what that means. That's probably not good. Uh, all American things is a Brit, but oh dear, they're a bad guy. You know? But um, but he he sort of plays it with with such a sense of calmness as well. He's very collected. He's very unemotional, and therefore that's mm. one of the things that's so terrifying about him. I think he just does not care. Yeah. Mm. There's, well, there's a okay. So, uh, one of the things that struck me about the Kilgrave character was that he's uh, he, he's kind of got a deficit because the whole thing is he's sort of is is he's you know the, sort of the superhero sort of universe. He's, he's sort of the byproduct of sort of some kind of uh, scientific trials. His parents yes. don't like him, yeah. and uh, he's got he's kind of got some he's kind of an, an emotion got an emotional deficit. Yes. Uh, an empathy deficit. Yes. Uh, uh, at the centre of his character, but in terms of how he tries to play that out, what was really interesting to me was he—he's got this mind control power where he can—I mean, it's basically sort of great comic book. Uh, uh, what's the word? Um, comic book lore, I guess. You know, the idea yeah. that he's, he can—he uh, can control other other people's minds. So, but that then translates into a, a metaphor for sexual violence because he can—he can basically make people uh, do his wishes. He can. Yes. He's a, he can impose his will on others. Absolutely, absolutely, mm. entirely, mm. and therefore it's all about control, maintaining control. Mm. I mean, by the end of the, because I think also what's interesting about series one with Kildgrave is you don't mm. really see him for quite a long time. He's quite, he's almost effect, like, yeah. yeah, he's almost a bit of a phantom. Mm. And then once you start to see him, the first time that Jessica sees him, it's through a window, and it's quite, it's almost, it's sort of quite, well, it's very spooky. And I think from that, what what the program does very cleverly is offer us Kilgrave immediately from Jessica's perspective. So we're always rooted with her. And, you know, this is one of the wider things about the program, which is really great. I think particularly in series two, where it becomes far more complex in a way, you know, the the characters like Hogarth that you know Mm. are kind of morally sometimes rather compromised become deeply deeply compromised mm. and jessica does at times so the way where she kills the the sadistic guard mm. that's torturing her mum she kills him in self-defense and he is obviously a, a murderer himself and yet she tortures herself through it so as you say it's about sexual violence but as we've also talked about it's about the aftermath of violence which mm. is so odd for the marvel universe yeah. where violence is almost I remember reading an article about the Avengers uh, when they destroy New York. Um, <laughs> the aliens destroy New York. There's like this kind of deathless destruction that, you know, there's mm-hmm. masses of urban destruction, but no actual death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the way They're that it kind of, exactly, yeah. the way that it kind of sidesteps any um, actual implications of, of genuine, real violence. Whereas that's really at the heart of quite a lot of what Jessica Jones is about, is the effects of, on people of violence of any kind but also then the effects of people that have had to use it if they've needed to. Because her trauma in the second series becomes not only what she, what's happened to Kilgrave, it's what she's mm. done to Kilgrave to stop him, and then what she's done to the guard. And that's when yeah. Kilgrave reappears in her imagination. Yeah, and so again, he comes back from the again, dead. Again, he comes back from the dead, he which, you know, is a dead, conceit, yeah. is really mm. um, very trite, really. Yeah, and yet, yeah. you know, in a way... For a lot of the second series, I think you're missing Kilgrave in a weird way. Yeah, it's kind of, I think, well, that hangs over it. That really gets to the sort of the nub of it, I think, Anna, because isn't that what it it does in a very sort of sophisticated and complex way? Is that, I mean, I think one of the things that always struck me was by um, Azar uh, Nafisi, I think uh, she's the lady who wrote uh, Reading Lolita in Tehran, 
and she says that uh, what what people don't get from the outside who have uh, not suffered uh, abuse or violence or um, trauma is that there is always sort of an intimacy of the oppressor and the oppressed. Yeah. And I thought that was really played out in Jessica Jones because yes. in some sense she is still loyal to this monster, like this uh, yeah. abusive person and she keeps sort of returning to him. Absolutely. Know? There's a real sense of not really being able to escape. Uh, and I think a lot of that is also part of this sort of sense of everybody being addicted to something. Is this sort of sense of not really being able to escape. And again, Hogarth as a, as a character, even though she's a, a relatively minor mm-hmm. character, she can't escape by the end of series two. She's done something bad. She's terminally ill. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a real sense of the walls so, closing in all the time. And Jessica, it's really quite a dark... Yeah. Dark well, I mean, series. Things, yeah, it tells you more about me, but that's one of the things I absolutely love about it. Absolutely. It's just in terms of its atmosphere, it's just yeah. grim, nasty, sort yeah. of relentlessly pessimistic. It's extremely pessimistic. And actually, having rewatched bits of series one, uh, you know, the kind of the, the sexual violence angle is 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 implied all the way through in a, from a variety of on a variety of levels. So there's the scene, a flashback scene when she's sitting in a bar with Trish. And a guy comes up to them and makes some really rude comment to Trish. And of course, Trish has got Trish has got that great backstory of being Patsy, this child star, which brings in again this sense of control, uh, of not being able to be an adult woman. You know, yeah. people kind of infantilizing her all the time and her yeah. trying to fight back about that. So she's got a really interesting backstory as well. But Jessica sort of tackles this guy and they they sort of have a like a boxing match in a bar, and of course she wins. But that's sort of a you know like a low level harassment of two women in a bar. And that's a real fantasy mm-hmm. moment of kind of what a woman wishes that she could do to respond to that. And yet it then goes all the way through to Kilgrave. And they, they're very careful in the first series with the word rape. But you, you do get it, but not very often. Mm. And then you get it from Jessica herself in series, series two. She, she says it, it's yeah. like an acknowledgement that this has happened to me and I'm, a, I'm trying to survive it, you know, mm. which I thought was really interesting. But of course, there's the funny therapy scene when she just rejects it completely and says this is what's happened to me and breaks their stress ball <laughs> and walks out you know yeah. but she's also extremely funny i mean she's a funny I mean, character that, yeah, given all the pessimism that yeah, it's funny it's great levity yeah absolutely throughout. absolutely yeah. and also i think you know the the male characters that they pepper through the series i think they, there could be a, a tendency to focus on kilgrave um mm. with at the expense possibly of sort of Luke Cage in series one, mm. but then Oscar and Malcolm in, in series two, that are sort of particularly Oscar is this kind of, and we've talked about this before, not sure where to place that relationship. Well, Oscar with Jessica, is uh, just the single dad, neighbor, single dad, the kind domesticated, of you were saying. Yeah. touchy feely, new yeah. man yeah, kind of. Very sensitive, yeah. Sensitive, but extremely gorgeous yeah. and therefore again i think of a fantasy figure i mean i think that yeah i think yeah, that's a perfect man if exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. totally unrealistic but, you know, <laughs> brilliant but uh but you know the way in which men are also also objectified in jessica jones is interesting you know that i would never say that there's a reversal of a of a kind of a gaze here but the way in which they are fairly regularly objectified uh whether it's because they're muscular in the case of luke cage or whether it's um, to make them look kind of, yes, more attractive as a sensitive dad in the case of Oscar. These are, again, uh, spaces that you would not necessarily expect to find in a conventional American programme. Which is why you think it's just really gives a good account of sexual violence, trauma. It does, absolutely. And it also, but it also, I think, in a way, examines female sexuality 
So the women in it, they're allowed to be sexually desiring as yeah. well as desirable. Yeah. You know, sometimes just downright sleazy. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. that's all okay. You yeah. know, and they're allowed to be in a sense in control of of that. So, and I think what the program does as well is it kind of pitches a character like Oscar, who accepts Jessica for who she is, and allows her in a way to bring whatever she feels she can bring but no mm. more. So I think that final scene in series two when they sit eating together. Yeah, what did you think about that? Mm. Well, I think I'm biased because I like the programme so much. Yeah. So I think there's a tendency, if I'm not careful, to try and find the most mm. positive <laughs> reading. <laughs> well, I was like, is, is, uh, like, sorry to cut across you, but like I was, no, is, is, that just the, uh, is that just a return to the nuclear family? Well, I mean, I think that's certainly a reading of it. Mm. And and that, in a way, that's, that would be a shame if, what we have is Jessica now contained within yeah. a, a kind of a conventional version of femininity. Well, she wants it to be a mother. A yeah, but I, d- but I don't think that you get that sense really from the final scene. I think that is definitely not a reason, reading that you can close down. It's certainly there. But I think there are some alternatives where, you know, she's there because she wants to be there. He's not making her be there in any way. He's not. Mm. He has no expectation of her, so she's mm. there because she wants to be. The way that she talks to his son... It's not maternal. It's quite sweet and unsure, really. She's not there in that capacity, yeah. I don't think. It is ambiguous. It's yeah. very ambiguous. Yeah, she, she does seem to be, at the end of she does seem to be unsure of that, as you say, of, of her position within that space. Like, she's, you know? not, she, she's very uncomfortable. I don't think she knows yeah. whether she wants to be there. And I think what that then possibly moves us towards, if we, if we wanted to find quite a progressive reading of it, is the way in which power dynamics in Jessica Jones are shown as very negative if they are about a man controlling a woman, which a lot of them are. Yeah. But if they're, you know, if they're kind of equal or the man is making no demands or, you know, somebody's partner is making no demands of them, then that's okay. So it's it's sort of showing uh, almost like a dystopia and a, and a utopia. So, yes, that's possibly a utopian moment at the end. Or um, both, maybe, yeah. Or possibly, yes, both in terms mm. of, who knows where yeah. she's going from there she could just get up and leave yeah. one thing yeah so on top of that one thing I just wanted to go back to because it was uh, one of the again the, the Kilgrave character is one of the things that I uh, sort of thought about him is that he sort of he can command people to feel as well as to do so that's one of the really sort of terrifying things about it he could uh, so it's just so everybody knows how to make a horrible face here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is that is that is where sort of his power comes from, you know. And I think maybe what Jessica doing is that final scene is in the second scene is very much about fragmentation and aftermath. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So in, maybe in that final scene, what she's trying to do is try to reclaim a sense of uh, being able to emote, being able to feel without it being yeah. controlled, perhaps. Yeah. But that's just a thought, I think. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that you know the Kilgrave um, level of kind of violence is obviously becomes quite extreme in terms of his mind control but i think that sort of sense of yes making people feel things very much taps into emotional abuse where people become so um, unable to really recognize their own feelings as having any value um that that they end up believing them and that's almost a metaphor for that you know and that's that's a sort of very very scary idea that not only do you lose control of your what you do, you lose control of how you feel. Yeah, he gets, he, he, he does that. Well, and then afterwards, when she challenges him, doesn't he say that? What revisionist bullshit he says to her? Yes, and it's like, exactly. It's her word against his kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's the scene where she 
has him in a kind of hermetically sealed room. I think she's captured him. It's one of the yes. later episodes, and yes. she goes in. Try, yeah. She's trying to kind of goad him into using his powers so that Hogarth, who's recording it, basically nobody believes her. This is mm. the other thing that's very prevalent in series mm. one: is that nobody believes her. And again, there's well, such, such, such a exactly people just pe- exactly or, you know, abuse, or yeah. emotional abuse. You yeah. know, nobody's nobody's going. Nobody wants to know. Um, but in that scene, she's trying to goad him into using his powers, and she sort of becomes the femme fatale. She's trying to kind of turn him on, and he he sort of turns it back on her, and more or less says, you, you know, you knew what you were doing. And again, it's very much pitched that, mm. in a way, he's so utterly unaware of yeah. the severity of what he's done uh, that you know it, yeah. it almost <laughs> moves to the thing that yeah. either he doesn't care or he just almost doesn't understand yeah. because he just cannot function as a as a as a human with the, with that with the sort of any emotional barometer at routine, all yeah. yes exactly totally lacking empathy so back to being mm. you know a good definition mm. of a narcissist deeply mm. concerned about what he looks like but underneath there's nothing and what there is isn't yeah, nice it doesn't, yeah friday always says that as a narcissism is premised on weakness yeah well, that would work really well with Kilgrave mm. because there's no real sense of who he is other than what he can get other people to do for him. Yeah. You know, he... Yeah. And because the, the, the terrifying backdrop to that is that uh, because he has the ability to make people do things for him, he's sort of... Uh, he, he doesn't receive sanction from legal authorities or from no. justice. He's, he's sort of sort of legally uh, uh, innocent. Absolutely. Know, morally uh, unscrupulous. Absolutely. And also, of course, by as the series progresses and it starts to become more and more that he can control, you know, anybody, mm. um, then it's about that sense of him being everywhere that she can't, Jessica can't get away from him. Yeah. You know, he is, he's oh, absolutely everywhere. Yeah, which is, that's really interesting, that, isn't it? Because the, the victims see everyone in sort of a, a conspiracy against them. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that he can carry on doing what he's doing because mm. no one is going to believe the minority who are the mm. people like Jessica that are saying look yeah exactly so it's a very I mean I really like series two because I like the the way in which maternity became far more mm. prominent so yes, the fact that Jessica's mother yeah. turns up and is actually much stronger than Jessica physically mm. but she doesn't have that sort of sense of moral boundaries mm. that Jessica does so she uses her violence it potentially mm. in you know much more problematic ways so mm. when she kills Jessica's boyfriend accidentally for kind of betraying Jessica, yeah. there's a, a real sense of maternity being almost a force which you can't control. I'm not quite sure what that means in the yeah, framework I'm of the program. That. I mean, because in the second series, you mentioned this to me before that there was different sort of versions of maternity. So there was like yes. Trish and her sort of um, as Trish's mum. Mother, uh, there's Jessica's mom and Jessica, and you could say almost a Jessica was into sort of an eternal relationship with her own mother. Yes. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, she has to look after her. Yeah. She has to try and help her escape. She has to do all these things. And there's hot guy next door. And there's hot guy it? next door is the you know the kind of um, hands-on dad. Yeah. You know, with the horrible ex-wife, which yeah. of course is a bit of a cliche, really. I think. That's interesting. So it's like, is it is it just saying? Do you think that there's that sort of maternity is just sort of a sort of a multifunctional thing? Yes, possibly. Very possibly. Very possibly. I mean, I think um, the scene where I don't want to ruin it. For, for people but we, ca- we kind of are yeah. um, where Trish shoots Jessica's mum is that pretty much ruins it <laughs> sorry it's quite a key scene really in the whole thing because of course on, yeah, really I think the, the the sort of truest 
relationship in terms of um, caring is Trish and Jessica, really. And there is an implication, I think, with a lot of Jessica Jones about surrogate families and about kind of not the nuclear family, but actually urban families, uh, which I think is another reading of that, the Mm. ending uh, of of series two with Oscar and his son. But with Trish, she shoots Jessica's mother because she's trying to defend her family, her family, which ah, is Jessica, and yet thing. Jessica, of course, rejects her because it was her mother. So there's this very, very ambiguous sense of you know biology mm. versus uh, you know the bonds that you have with other people. And Trish mm. is doing something which she believes is right, mm. but Jessica will not understand it. So there's yeah. a real break at the end of the series, yeah, between yeah. a female friendship. Yeah, and the bad guy as well, of course, Kilgrave. He's he's comes from a dysfunctional family, doesn't he? He was absolutely. His, not... his dad just wanted to die, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> it's not good. The nuclear family doesn't come off well, which again, of course, adds to the feminist angle of the of the program, which mm. is that you know the conventional definitions of femininity don't work. And of course, yeah, Trish's mum is shown as being very calculating, very pushy, ambitious, extremely ambitious, ambitious yeah. using her daughter. Um, very much, and that Trish's life is about coping with that as an adult and trying to stay in that role as an adult. Yeah. But there are both there are times in series two for both Jessica and Trish where they become kind of child women again. So Jessica with her mother, mm. although as you say, she is still having to sort of step up and help her mum defend her. But it's the same with Trish; she's constantly batting against this patsy kind of mantle and then you have some flashbacks of Trish as an addict you know as an alcoholic and drug addict and trying Mm. to cope with the aftermath that make her again she's trying to she's trying to cope she's everybody's trying to cope it's it is quite depressing (laughs) it is indeed that's a good place to talk about this other massive theme in Jessica Jones I think which is uh, I guess uh, addiction Um, so so a lot of the characters exhibit sort of uh, compulsive uh, and addictive behavior. You could say Kilgrave does it in his addiction to, uh, to Absolutely. power. Jessica sort of is a functioning alcoholic, I think. Yep. Uh, uh, Trish is, needs drugs. Uh, yep. And, uh, and, Ma- and Malcolm. That's who the, goes from alcoholism to to sleeping with lots of women. So it's like a transference. Yeah. So that's is how. So what do you think is going on with that? What's the dynamic there? Anna? Well, I think an e- an easy reading of it would probably be that these are people's ways of coping with trauma. trauma. Yeah, you yeah, know, personal trauma. I think with Jessica, it's interesting because obviously what she's doing is she's drinking huge amounts of whiskey, which of course adds to there's a lot of kind of masculine attributes to Jessica Jones. The character, yeah, she you can, know, she so she she can take a liquor. She's very strong. She has casual sex if she wants to. She speaks yeah. her mind. Yeah. You know, she doesn't really care about what other people think of her. Uh, I'm talking about attributes rather than yeah. kind of biological divisions. Um, and of course, that ties into her being this sort of super strong superhero that she can drink a bottle of whiskey yeah. and be completely and absolutely fine, which of course in reality would be completely not true. Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing with, with her as a character too, is this idea of her being on the one hand a relatable female character who's very normal, but then on the other hand is deeply, deeply special. I mean, there's a there's a chapter in a book that's come out on Jessica Jones which parallels Buffy with Jessica. You know, this sort of sense of uniqueness and being um, oh, kind wow. of picked out as special at the same time that you're trying to just be like anybody else. Yeah, so Buffy's trying to be a teenager. Exactly. So, oh, but yeah. but it's I mean Jessica Jones is different because she doesn't have the Scooby Gang. She it's much <laughs> more fragmented than that, She's and she doesn't have a mentor. 
I think people are very isolated. I think that's an interesting thing about series two is how isolated all the characters become. They all go off on their own tangents and, and really the, any sort of sense of a group is broken by the end. But isn't that what sort of trauma brings about? Sort of a, and that's what it's performing. It's a performance of fragmentation. That, Absolutely. You know, that, uh, the things that were unified and cohered are now uh, broken. Yes, it's as if everyone's trying to hang on. Yeah. And they can't. Not to each other. They've got too many things for themselves. Do you know what I mean? There's Everyone's jostling against each other. So, I mean, I think the theme of addiction is a really interesting one for, for, for Jessica Jones. And obviously, I think particularly in Series 2, they've picked that up with other characters, not just her. Yeah. Yes, I mean, and yeah. Do you think Jessica is a victim then, in that sense? Or, well, I mean, that's a sort of a very leading question, I guess, because I mean, that's what the whole thing is trying to uh, provide a reflection on the whole series. Do you think it's possible for her to overcome the trauma victim that has been been done to her in the in the series? And what does that say about? Uh... I think I'm quite pleased that they haven't gone that route yet. That she hasn't cleaned up her act. I know that sounds terrible, <laughs> uh, but I think I think it would be a little bit trite and dull if Jessica suddenly became yeah. a kind of gym bunny. It just wouldn't really work. It's part of her dysfunctionality, which then feeds into her ability to be an outsider and to ally herself with other outsiders. Most of the people in the program are outsiders, whether they're people she's trying to help through her profession. Mm or people that she knows yeah. through her personal life. Because the other thing with Jessica... Even the bad guy. Yeah. Even the bad guy. Everybody's yeah. kind of really on their own. And actually, one of the things about Jessica, which is interesting as well, is that she's not domesticated in any way. Where she lives is where she works. And there's no division between her personal mm. life that, and her kind of job life, her private that, detective uh, status. Is that symbolised indoors? And she's always standing in thresholds. And she's always indoors, and she house. has the broken door well, for there, series yeah, one. She breaks the, the door constantly. Yeah. There's no, there's yes, there's no barrier, so there's a real sense mm-hmm. of the public and the private, and of course that that feeds into the Kilgrave storyline, where, you know, he is pub has this public facade, uh, but then underneath it is something really really nasty. Mm-hmm. So it's in a way, yes, it's about barriers and people kind of being themselves or not, but that public private also for Jessica, I think, feeds into you know again upending any idea of women being domesticated. So her apartment mm-hmm. is is very bare. Mm-hmm. It looks like yeah. really nobody actually lives there. Yeah. Very minimalist. Very, well, it's very functional. Yeah. It's not a home. Yeah. It's a dwelling. You know. Isn't the isn't the, the Malcolm character is constantly sort of uh, trying to repair it in the second one? Like yes, he's the one in there trying to kind of make himself use of this handyman. Jessica doesn't care. Yeah. She doesn't care. You know, she's not interested in her surroundings. Yeah, I guess so. We see it a little bit. Another male character, there, Malcolm, with Kilgrave. He's they're trying to construct an ideal version of what she ought to be. Yes, in a way. Yes, absolutely. Yes, very much. I mean, there are the flashbacks for Kilgrave and Jessica in series one. Jessica's being dressed oh, by Kilgrave. Yeah, she's got that yellow dress on, which is... Yes, he's, yeah, he's kind of making her. He's making yeah. her what the image that he desires and wishes mm. to have, which, of course, goes against who she actually fundamentally is. And yes, that's true of Malcolm, actually. I hadn't thought of that, mm. the way he's kind of constantly in there tinkering, trying to make her apartment mm. nice. And she's just not interested. I think... It's shown as being quite frivolous. And actually, the costume of Jessica versus the costume of somebody like Trish is interesting because Trish is extremely well-dressed. She's obviously wearing very kind of designer clothes, lovely shoes, you know, is taking a lot of, Mm. making a lot of time for her appearance, but but at the same time, deeply, deeply concerned about defending herself. So becomes, you know, super, super obsessed with 
training and uh, self-defense and martial arts to the yeah. extent that in the second series she wants to be a superhero too you know putting herself at risk to do that but so in a way again she 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 reaffirms this idea of what you see and then what's underneath it they don't have to match and they probably won't yeah it does, that, that sort of says something as well about i guess about the way women cooperate as well that they don't have to be sort of homogenous or conventional absolutely yeah. i mean there you know there is there aren't kind of groups of like-minded women in in jessica jones everybody's very distinct mm. uh you know and there's the in series one there's the the kind of the Kilgrave survival group and i think it's notable that oh, they're all very different that, yeah. they're all from very different backgrounds they've all had very yes it's almost classless isn't it? yes it's... it is it is it's, it's almost slightly uh yeah. utopian idea that everyone can get together and try and heal but but it's not utopian because they don't heal. Yes, they don't that's, heal. That's the key. They're trying to heal, but is it, is that is that the kind of the moral wisdom in it? Then that it's uh, you have to acknowledge the thing that's happened to you has happened to you, and in, yeah. in order to try and uh, cope with it, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot in Jessica Jones, which is quite a kind of post world. So, you know, in the in the series, it's framed as post Avengers. So, you know, there's a few references to the Hulk or, you know, the aliens that come down yeah. in Avengers Assemble. But actually, I think that really you could argue that it's post 9-11 and it's got that mm. real level of awareness that, that this is bad things can happen, yeah. uh, you know, on a, on a fundamental level to anybody and that you don't have, you, you won't understand them. Yeah, and that kind of infuses quite a lot of the stories. Yeah. It's almost kind of like what post Gloria says, it's almost like a sort of a, a subaltern, yes. you know, kind of a version of the sort of the official Marvel universe where you've... Absolutely, it doesn't really bear much relation to the to you know Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers Assemble. I mean, cinema obviously is very different structurally from television because television you can have ongoing storylines, narrative much more complex narratively. Yeah. Characterizations can be far more developed with a, with a film. You've got two hours or sometimes longer because they're really long aren't they uh too long in my view but you know you have a very clear trajectory of what the narrative is characterizations are quite sketchy they tend to be functional so if somebody's good at something then it will turn out to have a reason in the film whereas mm -hmm. something like jessica jones has got the ability to be far more complex than that because it's a tv program but that said, you know, she's not... There's even a joke in the first series where Trish tries to get her to wear, like, a cape and a sort of spandex outfit. You know, oh. it's not like that. You know, it's just not mm. Marvel. And yet it is. It's yeah. even in really the, strange. Even in the comic books, uh, the, uh, uh, the Alias comic books, I think, what she is is a, she's actually a fail, failed caped warrior. Right. Yeah. Watch, so she's kind of given up. She's given up on that, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, she just didn't think she's good enough or is not for her. So she be uh, after she leaves Kilgrave, he takes over uh, yeah. for the Purple Man, and she goes on to become um, a detective, which is her way of uh, helping people. Well, absolutely. And I do wonder what the what the significance of the purple, you know, because he wears purple suits, doesn't he? But they're very subtle. Again, so he doesn't look like the Joker. He doesn't look like Jack Nicholson as the Joker yeah. with with the kind of ridiculous purple suit in. Um, is, it a, in is it a Doctor Who reference? Well, it wouldn't be if it was in the comic book anyway. Yeah. I don't know whether it's more a sense of him. I mean, who wears a purple suit? A bishop. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a whole <laughs> other angle. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. But I guess also not many people. Yeah. So in a sense, he he he's dressing in beautiful clothes, it's but, but he is not prepared to look like mm. everybody else, which I guess reflects mm. the fact that he sees himself as being above everybody else, because there's a real sense with Kilgrave, I think, of him being above everybody else. 
that he is the one that should be in control and that he has a right to do it. Mm. And therefore he puts everybody else beneath him. You know, he, he has utter belief that he is... He should be allowed to do whatever yeah. he wants. And that's his addiction then, isn't it? His, his addiction is to control people and to not see himself as anybody else. And I think that possibly his costume, I'm not sure, but I think possibly his costume uh, demonstrate that. It demonstrates that. It's kind of, I'm going to play you at your own game, but I'm going to do it better than you because mm. I am better than you. Because mm. that's that he's, you know, that's his, that's that's the dynamic mm. all the way through. Yeah, well, that's a very simple sort of moral insight that as well, isn't it? Is that, that that's what trauma is about? That's what sexual violence is about. That's what domestic violence is about. It's about asserting a, a hierarchy. Absolutely. And keeping it and, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Where of course in Jessica Jones, what's happening is that these characters, Jessica in particular, they're trying to fight back in whatever way they can. I mean, it's a fairly sort of standard female superhero dichotomy between the victim and the saviour kind of thing so you know Jessica is at once as I said extremely strong but also extremely vulnerable but it's the fact that the Kilgrave character is the one that is the main perpetrator and that he's actually then present in the narrative Mm. means that there's this collision in the first series of her past and what's actually going on so she's constantly having to cope with reminders of her past past, which are traumatic but then continue going and continue going. So there's a real emphasis on survival, but also survival however people can. So for Jessica, that might be mm. drinking two bottles of whiskey, you know, oh, but still being able yeah. to function, which of course, again, is not particularly likely mm. in real life. But yeah, well, it does show that sort of survival is a complex set of tasks rather than yeah. or trying to you know deal with the aftermath of a traumatic event is sort of, sort of a very sort of a plural thing that there's no sort of uh, I guess one way of um, well, no, one cure absolutely know? but arguably as well Kilgrave is trying to survive too yeah you know he's trying <laughs> yeah. to survive everything that's happened to him uh, and he's trying to survive to carry on doing what he's doing and, and you know it's only Jessica that can stop him I mean that's I suppose that's something which is downplayed more I think in the second series I thought you didn't get so much of an emphasis on Jessica's physical strength mm. and that's partly because she was she was sort of the, you know the mum turns up that's stronger so yeah. Jessica actually yeah. then, and that's an interesting dynamic in itself, the way that the maternal figure comes, turns up and is flawed but strong, as, as I've mentioned. But um, but that sort of sense of, of, of strength, you get far more moments of Jessica being strong in series one, I think. Yeah, is this a... Physically it's, strong. It's, is it because the Jessica character, when her mother is stronger than her, in the superhero sense, at least, she's... Uh, is that sort of is that something that draws a demarcation between Jessica's version of her survival and uh, Kilgrave's version of survival? Because Kilgrave, to sort of cope with his survival, he's he's sort of limitless. He can do anything to yeah. make, you, make you do anything, and he can get you to do anything for him, and he can yeah. he can uh, achieve uh, all these sort of brilliant things for himself. But Jessica is confronted with her own sort of limitations, yes, which is different. Sort of like he's sort of an infinite will, and she is a lot more of a sort of a finite messy fragile precarious uh, absolutely yes because she kind of carries everything and he carries nothing you know so she's sort of carrying her own trauma other people's trauma and he is refusing to take responsibility for anything at all oh this is almost like a christ-like uh well i think he's probably in his mind in that as the character then yes he sees his powers as making him tremendously special and therefore God-like. Beyond, exactly, and therefore he can do what he wants with them because everybody else is too stupid to to be bothering with. You know, I think it's interesting the fact that he obviously is fixates on Jessica because of her powers too. 
So she isn't actually as vulnerable physically as some of the other people that he picks on. So, for example, Hope. Um, and yet he, he it's almost like a challenge, I think, for him. And he wants to use Jessica. So, you know, he wants he wants her on his side because he recognises that she has powers too that he can actually use. Have access to, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So he sees the world in a very instrumental sense. In utterly of, instrumental, yeah. utterly instrumental, whereas Jessica is the absolute opposite. I mean, I think... What is, I, the, other, what is the opposite of being instrumental, I wonder? What is it? I don't know. I mean, I think like you say, though, Jessica is sort of, she's totally chaotic. There's a real sense of chaos about her yeah, as a character. No, it's not efficient. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, when she goes to bed in the series, she sort of falls into bed drunk and then wakes up probably falling off the bed with the alarm clock going off and an yeah. empty whiskey glass and, a headache, yeah, and yeah. a headache. And, you know, not having got into it, she doesn't put a nightie on or anything. She yeah. sort of gets undressed and collapses into bed. There's a real sense of just sort of not really caring and a sense of chaos, which, of course, is, is interesting because it means really that she's too busy actually worrying about really important <laughs> things, whereas Kilgrave is worried about dressing perfectly. Yeah, but underneath so he's that, very, he's, very he's extremely vain. Uh, and sort of... Um, very much about his appearance, whereas Jessica's not. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the other things that uh, I sort of thought I'd talk, talk to you about is the, um, and I guess this ties into all the sort of things uh, that we've been talking about up to now, about sort of sexual violence, the idea of coping with an aftermath of abuse. And that's sort of a, I mean, it's, I, thought, I thought I just thought it was really good representations of self-destructive behaviour. Yes. Absolutely. But I don't know what they... I'm not entirely sure. Like you say, I mean, I don't know what they'll do with Jessica. Are they going to carry on letting her self-destruct? Because in a way, she's not self-destructing. She's perfectly okay. And I wonder whether her being this sort of superhero, obviously it allows her... I mean, there's even that really amusing conversation, isn't there, between her and her mum about, in the second series, about how much you have to drink. Uh, how much they have to drink to, mm-hmm. to, to feel it, you know. So there's a, a real kind of differentiating them and how much they have to drink. And, the, and it's funny, but of course, it also indicates that she can just carry on doing it, whereas everybody else can't. Trish yeah. can't, Malcolm can't, nobody else can. So I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess that's what we'll have to wait and see. I wonder, though, I mean, in the comic books, it's left very open. It's just her getting... She becomes pregnant with uh, Luke Cage's child. Ah, so he's gone in yeah. the series, hasn't he? Because he's yeah. in his own. So in the Alias comics by, uh, I think it's Brendan, Brian Bindus, I think is the writer. It's very, it's, 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 the, the, the end of the comic books is a very quite sort of ambiguous moment, like where he, she tells him uh, that she's pregnant with his child and they're kind of like, oh, all right, that's okay. So this is where we go from here. Like, you know, but right. it, it didn't really... Uh, offer a sort of a, a moral endorsement of that or, or you know a moral rejection of that yeah. position so that's probably I guess the long trajectory of it wow well that'll be interesting because I mean of course he's notable there's you know the two main male characters of series one are notable by absence in series two so there's no Kilgrave and there's no Luke Cage yeah so you know there are there are a lot of ways in which they had to try and fill that and like I said they didn't do the Buffy they didn't do the kind of every season. Mm. Let's have a big bad yeah. that that she has to yeah. she has to be. So that's something I didn't think of actually. The Buffy comparison actually is, it, is that something you uh, how how does it compare for you or how does that that, that Jessica compare to other sort of superheroines like uh, Wonder Woman? Uh... Sure. Well, I mean, I think with Buffy, Buffy's interesting because unlike Jessica, obviously she's I think she's far more sexualized. Possibly she's mm. very blonde kind of girl next door. Um, but arguably Jessica's sexualized too, just in a far more kind of femme fatale, dark hair, you know, 
red lips kind of way, um, far more smouldering and, and, and kind of fitting with film noir, really, as a, as a genre. But with Buffy, you know, there are moments in the, in the series with Buffy of, you know, her being, her experiencing trauma. So the sudden death of Buffy's mum in one of the episodes, she walks in and her mum is dead. And, uh, and she then has to cope with that. You know, the, the, the link between sex and violence and the threat of sexual violence is very much part of Buffy when she's, you know, with Angel. Uh, and she can't sleep with Angel because then he'll turn bad again into a vampire. Mm. And she does sleep with him and he does turn bad. And then he turns against her. So there, mm. again, this, these themes of sexual violence and mm. male control are, are right there in, in the narrative, I think. This sense of being the special one. Of course, Buffy is the vampire slayer. Jessica mm. Jones is a superhero, super strong. Mm. Um, I mean, I think one of the things for me with series two that I wasn't so keen on was the way in which they did the Marvel thing of trying to explain Jessica's strength, you know, of a kind of like an origins, the way, yes. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that it's a fair convention to do it. And they did it relatively well, I think. But for me, I think that it's sort of fairly incidental. And actually, if if there's a level of ambiguity about it, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, in in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you're not entirely sure why she's the slayer yeah. she just is and that's okay and i suppose mm. in a way i would have quite liked it if jessica had just been left yeah. so do you think there's something distinct about her then as you know are these sort of competing versions of the strong woman they're very much i mean there aren't many characters like this you yeah. know i was it trying to think it's full of strong women characters absolutely unbelievable for yeah. for the Resilient narrative being and... led by women there are some episodes in series two where the male characters are not in it at all None of them are in it. Which is pretty new. Yeah. Which is very new. I mean, Oscar turns up as the romantic lead, but the fr- the program, I think, is very aware that it doesn't want to get sort of too romanticised. So there are whole episodes or multiple episodes without him in, which is, you know, which put, puts the focus very much back on her and not on that as a sort of relationship or anything. It's very unimportant, really, in the, in the structure of it. Um, and she doesn't have the kind of because Angel keeps appearing in Buffy, whereas of course that does, it isn't happening with Luke Cage with with Jessica. So that I mean that mm-hmm. kind of frees them up, I think, in series two for yeah. her. But yeah, I mean, I wonder where they're going to go yeah. with it. Well, I mean, that's I'm going to ask you one last question then because this has been brilliant. Um, do you think it's I mean, it's do you think it's, it's no accident that it's come along at this particular time, Jessica Jones? Is it reflecting? Do you think uh, wider political trends? Oh, I don't know. Or is it is it just saying something universal that's always been the case? I think there aren't many, like I said, there are not many examples of particularly strong female characters leading programmes. I mean, mm. it's interesting that, say, Wonder Woman has come out, the film, mm. uh, and she's and I actually really liked that. I thought that, again, they didn't particularly sexualise her. I mean, she's a very beautiful actress, but they very, I thought, very deliberately allowed her to kind of lead the narrative. Uh, and be the kind of the main central character um but i suppose one of the things which is interesting about jessica jones is the fact that it's almost as and and similarly with black panther these are these are marvel texts that are becoming far more interesting and progressive than what they've previously done and i wonder whether part Um, of that is because if you're going to have a huge franchise almost like a meta-narrative in this universe you can't keep making remaking the same stories so you have to do something new and i think you know that may be a key element of jessica jones mm. and black panther in a different way 
is is creating new new things for audiences that are quite jaded. But I do think obviously the fact that Jessica Jones is on Netflix means that it's not beholden to advertisers that they can commission it and it can be made as the people that are making it want to make it. Mm-hmm. So it can be quite risque if it wants. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. interracial love stories are there with her and Luke Cage. They're also mm-hmm. there with her, with Trish and Malcolm. They're also there with her and Oscar. You know, so it can be far more progressive, I think. So whether it indicates a shift, yes, I think Netflix are quite good at making quite progressive programs. Orange is the New Black, again, I think, but again, you know, there are problems with that. But it's extremely progressive in the way that it focuses almost entirely on female characters. So yes, this does seem to be a trend, but in terms of wider political shifts at the time when everything else is going, flowing to the right, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that struck me about the two series. One is... It's, 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 it's sort of kind of straddles, uh, if that's the right word, the uh, the Trump election, isn't it? Like 2015 and it came out in 2016. So maybe I was just wondering, is it trying to make sense of all of that? And like, you know, it could certainly be. And... I think it could certainly add to the cynicism of the programme. A sort of sense of uh, of kind of what's happening in the world. You know, the world's gone a bit mad in Jessica Jones. They live in a fairly crazy world. Nobody's... Nobody's just getting up and going to work uh, in, a, in a, you know, they're not. There's a, almost a constant crisis. Yeah. Um, but and and of course, melodrama is 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 very much part of Jessica Jones. You think it's a traditional melodrama? I but I think it's underplayed, which I really like, considering the fact that it focuses more on female characters. But yes, I think that that could very much be uh, is a reaction against that push to the right, hugely, hopefully. Okay, we we'll leave it at that then. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot better than straddling Trump. <laughs> Let's not go there, Patrick. Thank you for listening to the Well. Our theme tune is "Love the Government" by El Papa Giraffe, and is licensed under Creative Commons. You can follow us on iTunes or your preferred podcast app.